morning and welcome back to Writing the Rapids. It's another Writing the Rapids rejoinder where I have a guest who's been on the show before come back on the show for a mini episode to talk about what they've been doing lately. This month we have Kevin Bryce Gonzalez back on the show to talk about a completely non-existent carnival and maybe a little bit bro please I'm so dead get me that censored cheesesteak bro please man please. For those of you who don't remember Kevin Bryce Gonzalez is the founder of Back Patio Press and he resides in Florida. He loves his friends and family and of course his dog. His debut book I Could Be Your Neighbor Isn't That Horrifying got him banned from HOA meetings and is also available now from Back Patio Press. See what you can do when you kick back and enjoy the breeze? These rejoinder episodes are made possible by my Patreon people. That's patreon.com slash noisemakerjoe. Have a new $10 a month donation level, or whatever we're calling it these days, where I'll give you a shout out in podcast episodes and maybe future other non-podcast type things that I do. You'll get a signed copy of my new book, Tired, out now from Alien Buddha Press. You can buy that on Amazon. And you'll get my weekly serial story, Jellyfish Aches, which is pretty good, if I do say so myself. Well, that's enough of me yapping by myself. Let's get to me yapping with another person. So normally I I start with a question. I want to start with a reading, um, because this is the first poem in a completely non-existent carnival that did things to me inside. And it says... It reads, I would give anything to recapture the camaraderie enabled by youth because my best days ever lived were spent sitting on the hood of my car, my friends laughing beside me, and I recall so vividly the sheer feelings of immortality captured then. And, uh, oh, dude, like, you, like, the, the feeling of playing Smash Brothers in a basement all day listening to System of a Down, like, smacked me like a truck after reading that. Like, ugh. So, the... So, we'll take that, and then the whole... um, Between Carnival and Cheesesteak has a very frank and honest... uh, style to it that like sometimes I feel like I should write poems like that or I want to write poems like that but I don't have the like confidence to um and I think the biggest thing I admire about your work these two pieces in particular is the um courage to just be really frank about like that mood that's so funny because um, yesterday Kurt DM'd me about a poem in Cheesesteak and he was like, wow, I can't believe you can just say that. Like, I would never be able to just say that. And it, it makes me laugh because anyone in my life that would read those poems would just be like, that's how you talk to us. Mm. <laughs> like, that's how you talk to waiters at Chili's, dude. <laughs> and it's. I guess I've always just kind of been like a real mind on my sleeve kind of dude. Like the poem in cheesesteak, this is the example I gave Kurt yesterday. Um, let me see if I can remember it off the dome. My dog's going to start whining. Uh, what is it? Someone asked me how I'm feeling and I say not so good actually. <laughs> and we both stand there short circuiting, um, dying a bit. And I'm not sure who the bigger asshole is. That's like, that's that's a moment that I've acknowledged is awkward for people, and I still have not stopped doing it. Mm. Like if I'm having if I'm in a bad mood and I'm at work, and someone's like, "Hey, Cabot, how are you doing?" I'm like, 
Oh, oh, how am I doing? I'll tell you what I'm fucking doing. I got two motherfuckers on the phone right now and another dude standing in front of me. And you're coming up and asking me how I'm doing. I'll tell you what I'm fucking doing. How I much time do you I... have? Yeah. Do you want to charge me yeah. by the hour? I'll tell you how I'm doing. <laughs> Take a seat. I'll tell you how I'm doing. Um, Yeah, I think being frank is good. The like penultimate, that's not how you use that word. Fuck, now everyone knows I'm stupid. Damn it. <laughs> Penultimate is like the second most ultimate. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's when a penman reaches his ultimate. Oh, sure. It's the penultimate. Yeah. Yeah. Really good handwriting. But um, (laughs) yeah, calligraphy. Um, the best writing advice I've ever gotten, which is so corny to say, and it makes it even worse because of that terrible movie that came out. Um, was I was in eighth grade. And I had the best reading teacher ever, Rachel Smith. And she gave me the perks of being a wallflower. Mm. Yeah. And um, he says, write, write how you talk. And I never really paid attention to that because I was doing predominantly academic writing, like between eighth grade and college. And it wasn't until I like stumbled onto the indie lit sphere that I realized people could write good things without sounding like an academic. But now that I've been introduced to this like everyday language and frankhood of of poetry and indie lit, I think about it all the time, mm. all the time. Just write how you talk. I guess I can't do that in full honesty because I edit out like so many swear words. Right. Huh. The printer actually um originally refused to print cheesesteak. Oh really? Because it, yeah, it had between 40 and between 40 and 50 fucks in it Mm. and i whittled it down to i think 23 or 30 and they told me to send it back to them before i ran it so they could okay it and i didn't i just ordered (laughs) just ordered 50 of them i was like okay well we'll we'll see if they ban me Mm. that's hilarious vulgarity is the spice of language i always say man right yeah i mean hey where's for scorsese Right, like, mm-hmm. um, I learned it from my mom to be honest. Oh, good. You said she listens, right, to your interviews sometimes. Yeah, I think in the last one, uh huh, she'll tap in every once in a while, um, but she doesn't tell me. Oh, I only know because like she'll like she'll look at me after I say a certain thing. And it, it'll remind me that it alludes to something I'd said in a podcast interview or oh. I'd said on Twitter. Or she'll screenshot shit on Twitter. Oh, no. And send it to me. Like, uh-huh, that was not very funny, Kevin. <laughs> like, damn, Mom, you made it to 34 minutes? That's crazy. I didn't think you'd make it that far. Calling people piss babies is so 2013. Come on. Get new material. <laughs> she said. She's like, that's cheap. You can do better. Rogan Buck was okay. doing that long before. Yeah. Um. God. It's so funny you brought up Super Smash too, because like, the group of friends I was thinking about when I wrote that, that was like our shit. Yeah. Was Super Smash on the GameCube? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Up- upstairs in the loft. There, we had a friend. His name is Alex. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get murdered at the time we had a friend group that was very diverse uh, except for two of our friends were named Alex one of whom is of Asian descent and one of whom is 
of African descent. And so we gave them nicknames. We all had nicknames, um, but we gave them very specific nicknames based on that. Uh, so we were at one, one of their apartments because his dad was a long haul trucker. So he was just gone. He's, he's just, he's gone for like weeks at a time. And this dude just like lives by himself in this apartment. So the night before the brawl came out on the Wii, we were like, all right, this is our last hurrah with melee. So we're going to just do like everything. It was like all Donkey Kong match 99 stock. Let's just go. Um, and that dude had the weirdest Pringles in his house. His, his, his pantry was stocked because apparently his dad just would go buy snacks for him but it was the strangest snack so maybe it was like he was going into other states and getting the the weird like roasted onion and green pepper pringles that they have only in south dakota or some weird stuff like that but yeah we played for like 30 hours straight and yeah smash bros was the thing man it's funny you bring up the fact that he was like a latchkey kid because we had the exact same circumstance. Not the exact same circumstance because it was a little more sad than he was working. It, but he was away for a long time. And um, so we would just go to his house all the time and we would just fucking... Damn, I got to be careful because he's like... He'll never listen to this. Fuck you. <laughs> ben. We can, we can slam something in there. That's fine. Put a little air horn there. I won't, um, ben. But... but... um, Yeah, that's fine. Whatever. Fuck Ben. He's a pussy. What's he gonna do? Fucking sue me? You know, I got, um... Someone... Someone someone told, um... A woman to sue me last night on Twitter. Oh, yeah? Why? Yeah. Because I joked about, um... Taking pictures of every page of her book and forming a conducive PDF out of her book and I offered to give it to people for free mm. and she was bitching about people um, stealing her book or whatever the fuck and I was like this is ridiculous hmm. most ridiculous thing I've ever heard could you imagine that like being upset that someone who can't afford your book wants your book so bad that they ask for a free PDF and it just offends you yeah I, I guess I can't with- imagine that like I Am I getting us into heated territory? No, no, that's fine. Like, I guess I kind of get it, but, like, your royalties are so low that, like, I don't know, ask for $3 or something, and you'll probably get more than you would have gotten if they had been able to afford the book full price on Amazon. Like... Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean... I had one of my old college roommates wanted to buy my book, and I was like, no, I'll send it to you. And he's like, no, I'm going to give you money. How much do I give you? So, I don't know. I'm not in that situation yet where people just want my book for free. Like, I feel like, I guess, as an artist, people feeling like they're entitled to your work is maybe a sore spot, especially for, like, visual artists. But most people know who I am because I have a podcast. So, I'm, you know everything i do is free basically you know 90 percent of the content that anybody can find people are going to be able to get for free so i'm in a very different position but it seems weird especially i have more than two pieces of writing that either explicitly say on the writing or have been said to me by the writers oh yeah you can bootleg that just give that to people 
so did you read the copy page of cheesesteak i did i read it out loud to my wife and she laughed <laughs> which normally reading things out loud to my wife that are prepared for this show do not lead to laughter normally it leads uh her to say please stop please stop that i don't i don't understand that don't don't read that to me <laughs> it could have been funnier i think it's maybe my my primary critique it feels lazy in retrospect it wasn't funny enough yeah. I didn't edit the joke. I should have edited the joke. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not funny enough to to like want to joke about things. I've also found that like my st- style of humor is you got to know me and I'm trying to be more co- mm-hmm. more cognizant of that especially online. Like I got really downvoted on Reddit the other day cuz <laughs> yeah. There, there was a thing about like um, trans athletes for high school in Michigan have to uh, play in the sports that matches their assigned sex at birth, and I was like, "Guys, trans men are just gonna like wreck girls on the soccer team now, right? <laughs> like, you know that some dude who's been taking tea since he was fourteen, who's six foot three <laughs> and two hundred fifty pounds, is just gonna destroy Susie." on the soccer field and everyone's like, I don't understand how you can say that. I'm like, no, dude, like you don't understand. <laughs> the, no, but, it, but it's hilarious because they're <laughs> going to make him play on the girls team. It, it's funny. It's funny because, because Republicans are trying to protect girls in sports and you're making yeah, men play sports. Like my, my understanding of trans issues is tr- transcended beyond where yours is to the, so anyway, I just deleted the post. Uh, just i refuse i refuse to delete anything like ever anytime i take an l on the internet what i'll do is i'll crack three beers at once and i'm like we're gonna double down <laughs> we're gonna double down on this i'll be sober and realize what i've said was a mistake and i'm like ain't no one gonna make me look fucking stupid i'm not gonna make me look stupid if anyone's making me look stupid on the internet today it's it's, it's, it's me. me you can't fire me <laughs> yeah. i quit it's that yeah. yeah see that's the difference between you and me you don't have a wife who you tell about that later who says oh that didn't that didn't work out well for you did it no i just have zach <laughs> zach's just like kevin don't say it don't say it like, i'll do like a quick lap around my living room like all right zach i won't say it i beta test um responses more often i'd like to admit mm. to zach I'm like all right man be my voice of reason like is this a bad thing to say and every single time he'll not say yes but he'll say something like Think- things just a waste of time it's probably just like a waste of your energy which is true but like i know what he wants to say is Kevin, that is a horrible idea right like, stop being so mad at the internet yeah stop- his advice is always just don't look at your timeline and that's good advice sage advice yeah or or even don't follow people who post stuff that you don't want to see because you can do that dude it's not even the posting that gets to me is it the retweets not even the retweets it's not the posting it's not the replies it's the favorites oh when you can see what your homies are favoriting on the sly, first of all, I don't want to know that my boy is horny for 
e-girls with double D tits. I don't need to see that on my timeline. I don't need to see five of my friends all favoriting the same e-girls giant titties. I love giant titties. I know my homies love giant titties. I don't need to know that. It's just, I don't know. It's like creeping into your friend's room and going in their history and like looking at their porn. I don't need to see that side of you. I think it's fucking weird. But people will favorite things that like they they believe in, but they don't have like the gall to like say out loud. Right. I'll see some like weird, sneaky ass opinions. And I'm like, how's this on my timeline? I'll see who favorited it. I'm like, you bro, mm. you going to do my dirty like that? So that's interesting to me because I immediately switched to uh, see latest tweets instead. Because I also don't like... I'm so annoyed by all the likes and, and, and retweets. I, in theory, like the idea of being able to see likes from the other end. I like the idea that if people like my tweets, people who don't follow me will see them. Because I don't post anything that's retweetable aside from self-promotion. So... Mm-hmm. I like that idea as a person who needs my my numbers to go up. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I don't want to see it simply because if I wanted to follow that person, I would have followed them. So it's, it's you know, the reason I, I like it for me is the reason I dislike it for me, too. But yeah, man, switch to yeah. latest tweets instead and uh, your life will be a lot better, I think. Or use TweetDeck. I don't, I don't like, think that stuff even pops up whoa. on TweetDeck. What's TweetDeck? Oh, TweetDeck is like, um, it's just another way of viewing Twitter. There's, here, I'll share with you my, uh, I can share my screen to you. Oh, dude, I fucking love the internet. Isn't the internet great? We're not talking about your book at all. This is the most, like, <laughs> podcast-ass podcast we've done. So, like, <laughs> I like it. your favorite Twitter feature. I like this because I can schedule tweets, which I don't do a lot, but I like no being able way. to do it. Oh. So this is what I use for work. and dude, I, That's what I was just thinking, like, from, from back patio standpoint. Oh, dude. Yeah. We're about to get productive over in that thing, Yeah, dude. 100%. Because when you're, when you're manic at 3 a.m. and you're like, oh, man, I got, like, 20 tweets, but I want to, you know, yeah. make everybody ignore me or whatever, you space them out. That's genius. Yeah. Oh, Tuesday, Thursday, promotion here, promotion there, content Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Oh, look at that. That's what a person who, like, isn't a piece of shit would just do generally, like, on their own. Like, they'd be like, it's Monday. It's time for me to tweet the thing that's going live. It's Tuesday time for – not me, dude. I want an hour on Sunday where I could fucking drink three cups of coffee and plan out my whole week. So for the rest of the week, I don't even have to think about that shit. Yeah, man. I don't got time for it. Yeah, I, at work. I say that, then watch like five like five seasons of anime in right. my room alone. I'm like, I don't have time to be productive. I'm going to watch Kill a Kill for the 12th time because I like how they get more powerful yeah. when their clothes get smaller. Dude, if I watch another Ghibli movie, I'm going to fucking lose my mind. <laughs> I cannot stop watching them. I won't. I can't and I won't. It's just like, it is like the chicken noodle soup of of media. Oh, God. And the, the music, too. Yeah. we For for one of the gift-giving occasions, my wife bought me like six Blu-rays of Studio Ghibli movies. So I'm right there with you that, you know, watching that instead of some like 1930s German black and white film is probably better for me. And I should watch those more often. 
I um for a long time I thought that like Blu-rays were a psyop. Like I was like, this is just a way for companies to get more money out of you. Then I went to my buddy's house who like collects Blu-rays and we watched a Ghibli on Blu-ray. I was like, what the fuck? This isn't in 480p? The colors? Yeah, I was like, whoa, this is like really good quality. And he's like, yeah, man. And it doesn't have a watermark in the bottom left-hand corner. Isn't that crazy? I was like, yeah, whoa, Blu-rays rock. I legitimately, like, for years, I'd be like, I can't believe you're buying Blu-rays, bro. That's so fucking stupid. $60, and for what? And for what? For a, for a physical copy? They look awesome. They're so good. It's so it's so worth the money. I'm the type of nerd who buys it because of the director commentary, so, like... Oh, yeah, that's awesome, too. Ugh. What do you got to say about that scene? Just like, oh, man. Yeah. I want to, like, know... I watched a, a Rob Zombie director's commentary for house of a thousand corpses and it was the Mm -hmm. most apathetic director's commentary you could possibly do he's like yeah so this shot i wanted to do a big sweeping wide but we couldn't fit the the jib in that house so uh, whatever (laughs) then don't tell me that director's commentary for the uh fred durst movie that just came out with john travolta god i didn't know that was a thing oh oh you want to know why you didn't know let me google how much they grossed on their um on their annual release hold on i think it was literally three hundred dollars yeah on a nationwide release uh the fanatic yeah it's about john travolta playing a mentally ill person who loves a celebrity and oh my god and it's very inappropriately portrayed like it's just real bad uh box office how would you phrase that Okay, so in the entire United States, on the night of the release, their box office total was $3,153. Oh. Yeah. Oh. God, that makes me so sad. (laughs) Did it open in, like, one theater? How did that... No. No, it didn't. It didn't. It's just Fred Durst. Like, imagine... Imagine Fred Durst being the guy who, like, is publishing your book. You know what I mean? Like, it's fucking Fred fucking Durst, dude. I wouldn't yeah. trust that guy to do anything. And there's a scene in the movie where the dad gets into a car. He turns on a Limp Bizkit song. And the dad looks at the son and goes, I'm going to show you what real music sounds like. And he cranks it. And it's just fucking Limp Bizkit. And Fred Durst made a horror film with John Travolta. I can't believe you haven't heard of this yet, dude. You've got to look into it. Yeah. So now that you say it, I've seen the movie poster on, like, Amazon Prime or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's uh, got that doofy-ass, like, yeah, haircut. He's got the, the yeah. bad haircut. Yeah. Oh, man. Huh. Uh-huh. Next time you're feeling, like, really sad, just go watch, like, a couple of clips from that movie. And then remember that Fred Durst, <laughs> the big brain behind break stuff, he made that fucking movie. So what's the reaction been like to the books? <laughs> <laughs> um, pretty mild, honestly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it just didn't tickle people the way neighbor did. It's been pretty, like I'll get a bunch of DMS from people and it's like, this is fucking immaculate. Ah, this is awesome. And I love that. Like, that's really all I want. Um, it's been positive generally speaking i guess i was pretty self-conscious about it being more 
melodramatic, I guess, right. or like more emotional. Especially get... because like at heart it's like a breakup book. Sure. Yeah, I got that. I guess that's kind of what I was go, going for with with how I open this is like, you know, if I can in my writing translate something I'm feeling personally into something universal, then I don't have to worry about how people react to it quite so much. But you're taking something that you feel personally and translating it very personally, which is commendable, um, I think. I love that you think it's commendable because like to me, like I've always thought about it as being so selfish. Like I, I, I legitimately write like to entertain myself or right. like to, I write like every day I wake up and my only goal in life is to make me feel things like I don't, I'm not going to say I don't give a fuck about the world around me, but like my predominant motive is either if I feel like being sad, I'm going to make myself sad. If I feel like being happy, I'm going to make myself happy. And above all things, I'm going to be entertained no matter what. Right. Like, if the world's going to hurt, if I'm going to be in pain, I'm going to fucking cackle at it. I'm going to have a great time with it. So I think it's funny that people think it's, like, brave or commendable when, in reality, I'm just, like, at home trying to stimulate myself. Like, it really is an inherently selfish project, I think, in its creation. It might not be perceived that way, which is good, but it definitely was right um like a form of like therapy which i hate saying because that's some lame shit but that's an interesting interesting way to look at it as as um as um selfish one of my writing classes uh it was like intro to creative writing and the professor was like writing can be therapeutic please do not make this class your therapy writing class and I think maybe that stuck with me a little bit more than it was intended to, because I think the point is like, uh -huh. hey, let's not like make this a let's trigger each other class. Let's just uh -huh. try to learn how to write a little bit better. And there was one girl who definitely wrote like, I don't know what she's doing now, but if she's not getting published by some of the people who are publishing books <laughs> like in this <laughs> ecosphere, she really should, because she had some like Juliet the Maniac type um pieces Yo. that i thought were really good and i don't remember her name they're my contact info dude and um yeah man so like between that and like you know the silly masculine like when i'm 13 and writing poems like this but bad like i'm not gonna show that to my dude friends and if i'm showing uh -huh. it to my female friends it's not to get reliable feedback on the piece right it's yeah it's yeah. let's see how many hugs I can rack up today sort of thing because 13 year old Joe liked hugs. Um, so like those things That's mixed so with cute. a few other yeah, things like, that. you know, make it so that writing something so mask off, um, feels like that's a skill you have to develop when maybe it's a, uh, masking it is the skill we have developed. And you talked about before when you were on for the full length episode about how before you were writing very literary and you've already stripped it down. So maybe that this is an even more refined version of what was um, in Neighbor. But I don't know. I yeah, felt I, I felt like this too was more. <laughs> this is not this is not me talking 
talking time, but I, I, I feel like this was also, <laughs> it felt more authentic to me than Neighbor did. Yeah, um, that's really funny. Also, I really like the use of the word mask because the word that's been circulating in my head since I've started talking about the difference between neighbor and carnival, which stems from the anxiety and like the immediate contrast and like tones and personality in them is um, faces, like mm. the faces people put on and um, trying to gauge the, <laughs> the area between um, persona, person, and perception. Mm. I was talking to another writer that I don't want to name just cause um, I don't want to seem like a name dropper, but, and I was talking to them about this. Like I was like, you know, I've, I'm just, I've always felt myself as a very authentic person. And the more I think about how authentic I'm trying to be, the less authentic I feel in the sense that like I'm overcompensating or I'm, I'm trying to hide specific emotions. Like a neighbor, I deleted or I edited out, deleted, whatever the fuck you want to call it, probably four pieces that were much more emotional and much more in line with what I think Carnival ended up being for the sake of what I said then was tone. Mm. But in retrospect, I'm like, no, I was just putting on like a face. Like I was just playing the character. But what's the difference between the character and the person? And like, what's honest and what's not honest? And is this face you? Is this face not you? Are you putting on an act? Like, I don't know. I think if you think about it for too long, it really starts to fuck with your head. And yeah. I've kind of just come to accept the fact that like, A, oh my God. <laughs> A, <laughs> A, people are in constant flux. And B, we have so many different personalities and faces that we wear on like a day-to-day -day basis. I've kind of just had to learn to accept that because I never wanted that to be true. I always wanted to be me and like every day, every day I wake up the same person and I have these values. And I feel this way and it's just not true. You can't live like that. You're going to wake up tomorrow and something minuscule or large, you're going to have a different opinion on it. And you might go to bed and wake up, and have the same opinion you had on Monday that you didn't have on Tuesday. I don't know. It's been hard for me to come to terms with that, especially in relation to um, Carnival and Neighbor, and in trying to compare them and figure out which one is more honest than mm. the other one, which I think they're both pretty honest, but... Yeah. I, I think that that sort of self-interrogation is really good. Like... I wonder if, if enough people are doing that. I wonder if, if more people than I expect are doing it. Um, maybe it's me being cynical that I don't think enough people do that. But maybe they are and maybe I just don't like people. But yeah, as, as you're talking about that, like the way I interact on here with people and the way I interact with people at work and the way I interact with my wife when it's just the two of us are three very different things. They're three very different people. Um, but I feel 100% comfortable doing each one. Um, I don't know, dude. Read Buddhism because there's no self. You're just like the the universe experiencing itself in different situations. And then you don't have to worry about it because it's just... You're just being experienced, bro. Yeah, simply exist, dude. That's all. That's it. 
come on have no desires that's the root of suffering if you just stop wanting things you won't feel bad about the things you don't have i can never stop wanting things never that is like the cheesesteak right like the the title of cheesesteak like that is i came up with that because like at the moment like i've wanted nothing more in my life than a fucking cheesesteak and that entire section of the book out of the three sections i wanted that to be the focus is like the incessant craving mm-hmm. like desire just desire 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 and to this day i still wake up like that like i wake up every day and i'm like what do i want and how the fuck am i going to get it yeah i like to i like to approach my life from a very animalistic standpoint i guess like that well i i think that's fair i think we are animals indeed and like i you know the silly thing about the buddhism joke that i was making was like you also have to remove the desire of no desire right like so if if you want things and you're like cool with wanting them as long as you're cool with like failing to get then you're kind of there anyway as i understand it so but yeah cheesesteak is like a book about desire but it's not quite so sexy as that sounds yeah (laughs) i I wasn't even thinking about how how hot that was desire because really like at heart um it's not sexy like at all (laughs) no most of the poems are like about fucking old cheese onion fucking hoagie god damn it I gave that book to one of my friends for his birthday last weekend and um, his girlfriend opened up to a random page. I don't even know if I can remember the poem off the top of my head. It was um, slippers made out of Italian rolls. My toes smell like caramel corn and I'm not even sorry. <laughs> <laughs> she opened it up and read that and I was just like, you can shut that. That's for Walter. That's not for you. But I am not sorry. And my toes to this day still smell like caramel corn. So fuck all of you. 